take our Bibles and go to Mark chapter 3. And, uh, you know, every, every Sunday is supposed to serve as a, a reminder when we're at church about what that song just sang, what we just sang about. You know, the fact that, that Christ came and he died and he rose again, and uh, it's an awesome thing, and praise the Lord that he did. We can still, like Alan said, we can still be joyful no matter what happens in our life because the fact of the matter is nothing that happens in our life is going to change the fact that Christ has still risen from the grave, and that's something to rejoice about and to be thankful for. Uh, but let's look at Mark chapter 3. Now remember last week, we began to see how Jesus was met with <clears throat> opposition, and he was met with opposition from his family as his Galilean ministry was continuing to advance. And the, his family, they thought, remember, he was insane. And that, they said, he's out of his mind. He is crazy. And uh, they, they looked, as a result, to impose their will on him as he did the work that his father sent him to do. They tried to play life, or they, tra- they tried to play God in the life of God himself. They tried to lord over the Lord of all. They tried to be the master over the master of the universe. And this week we see opposition from very familiar foes, and that, of course, is, and you can probably guess, the scribes and the Pharisees. So let's read uh, Mark chapter 3. Look at verse 22. It says in verse 22, And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Bezalbub. And by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils, and he called them uh, unto him, and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except... He will first bind the strong man, and, he, and then he will spoil his house. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you again that we can come to your house and worship you and hear from your word. Lord, I pray that uh, though a lot of people aren't here and a lot of people are missing, Lord, that you'll just help us as individuals to uh, stay focused on your word and what you have to say, because we know, Lord, that you have something for everybody that is sitting here this morning. So I pray that you help us all to be sensitive uh, to what you would have. I pray, Lord, that you'll be with me. Help me to say uh, exactly what you want me to say, to be true to your word, and uh, just take me out of the equation, Lord, and I pray that you'll use the preaching of your word to uh, advance the gospel and to help change hearts and lives. This morning, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you that you did uh, send Christ and that he did rise from the grave, Lord. We thank you so much for the salvation that we have uh, because of you. And we praise you, Lord, for what you're going to do in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I like what uh, one pastor said, very true in regards to truth. They said that, one, that, that man, they hate truth because it exposes him for what he is and it troubles what still remains of his conscience. And in our text this morning, we, we find a group of lost men that hated truth. And we've, we've talked about these people before, but they hated Christ And therefore, they hated God. And Jesus often exposed these scribes and these Pharisees for who they were, which was simply God-hating, religious, but lost men that wanted to push their own rules, their own agenda, their own propaganda on others, and they elevated their truth above the truth of God. 
Now consider this this morning. Does that sound familiar to you at all? People elevating their own truth above the truth of God and pushing their own agenda and their own propaganda. These men, in Mark chapter 3, they presented themselves as spokesmen for God, but they rejected God. They claimed to hold to the truths that were found in Scripture, but they actually denied the truth that was in Scripture And they held to their own ideas instead of God's truth. They could not control Jesus either, by the way. And that bothered them to no end. They could not get him to fit into their religious mold. So they accused him of taking part in Satan's work and being a part of the kingdom of darkness. They used scare tactics and they tried to shame Jesus Christ in hopes that he would just back off. Jesus Christ, he preached the truth. He lived the truth. He held to the truth of God, and those that were lost in darkness despised it. They hated it. But why did they hate the truth? They hate the truth because the message of the gospel and the truth of God's word, listen to this, does not mesh with unregenerate man. The gospel, in case you didn't know, the gospel is a very offensive message. Now, we live in northern Maine. Nobody in northern Maine likes change. Well, that's what the gospel calls us to do. It it causes us to change. Let's look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And look at verse 19. And we're going to go back to our text in a moment here. John chapter 3. Look at verse 19, what Jesus says. And this, of course, is his uh, exchange with Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee himself. And look what he said in verse 19. He said, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And we can say amen to that this morning because men love darkness rather than light. Look at verse 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved or rather discovered. Look at verse 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Now, the hearts of these men that we're we're looking at in Mark chapter 3, their hearts were dark. They spoke out of the darkness of their hearts, and they rebelled against the truth of God. And you can know, church, that when you stand for the truth that you find in God's word, and you can know that when you obey God, like Jesus, you will face criticism. You will face opposition like we saw last week. And just as these Pharisees did, the lost that hate God for whatever reason it is, they will hurl everything they can at you in order to stop you from preaching and practicing what is right. And like these Pharisees did, they may even use scare tactics. They may even try to shame you in an attempt to stop you from being obedient to the truth of God. And really, I mean, just consider this. And I'm not, I'm not judging anyone per se of how they, they dealt with COVID. You remember three years ago, COVID shut down almost every church in the country. But what happened? They wanted to keep, uh, the, the mainstream media wanted to keep the churches closed. They said, you need to keep closing the church. You need to keep doing this, keep doing that. And what happened? There were scare tactics. I know several churches in California. I know one in New Jersey, Berlin, New Jersey, Solid Rock Baptist Church. We go there every year for a conference. The governor tried to scare them by giving them fine after fine after fine every single week. But they said, no, we're going to be obedient to God. We're going to have church. 
We're not going to partake in the forsaking of the assembling of ourselves together. And really, I look at the mainstream media as often enough at times to make you wonder, like Elijah did, right? Am I the only one? Am I alone? Am I the only one that, that, that desires to be uh, obedient to God's word? But I want you to know this morning, you are not the only one. This church, of course, as long as we decide to be a church, we're going to be a church that stands for the truth of God. Our church will be a church that will consistently preach Christ. We will be a church that, that, re, that, that, that attempts to reach the gospel, or reach with, uh, out to the community with the gospel of Christ. We will preach the truth of God, regardless of how conflicting it is with the views of culture. And by the way, this book right here, very conflicting with culture. It very much goes against what culture has to say, and we're going to see that. But our church will be a church that proclaims that there's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. We will be a church that uh, preaches on the importance of holy living and righteousness, and we will stand for God's truth. And look, at times, that will bring opposition from those that hate God. But Jesus Christ, He is our example. You know, He lived the truth to perfection. And He uh, is our example in how to properly defend the truth. So let's begin by going back to Mark chapter 3 and look again at verse 22. Mark chapter 3, verse 22. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. So these scribes, it's telling us here that they made a long trip from Jerusalem to, to Galilee. And it's likely that they did this in order to assess the ministry and the works of Jesus. This trip would take about 30 hours one way, okay, if they were walking. And that right there, the fact that they would make such a trek, it speaks to the impact that Jesus had. And it speaks to uh, how far word was spreading about uh, who he was and what he was doing. And, uh, and they, as they came and they saw what was happening, notice again their accusation. Look at the end of verse 22, or the, la the latter half there. He says that he hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. It says there that he hath. This means that he's possessed by. And that Beelzebub is a word that means the Lord of the Flies. It also means Lord of Filth. And in essence, it's just another title for Satan. So they were saying, these Pharisees, these, these scribes that came from Jerusalem, they were saying that he was possessed by Satan. And according to, to Luke and Matthew's account of this whole ordeal, uh, this happened after Jesus Christ casted out another demon from somebody that was possessed. And the, so these scribes, they were accusing Jesus Christ, who was the Son of God, as being possessed by Satan. They were saying that Jesus was possessed by him and, and he was being used as an agent to carry out his work. You see, it was, it was impossible for the Pharisees to deny that Christ had power. I mean, how could you, how could they, right? I mean, they, they saw him heal somebody with a withered hand. They saw him heal people with leprosy. They saw him cast out demons. They saw him bring sight to the blind. They saw him heal the sick and the lame. So they could not deny the fact that Jesus Christ had power. So what they do? They said, it's not of God. They, they did not uh, even accuse him from being possessed by a demon or being used by a demon either, by the way. 
They accused him from being used by the demon of all demons, which is Satan himself. Again, verse 22 says that they said that by the prince of devils casteth he out devils. In essence, by the power of Satan himself, he has the ability to cast out demons. So in this, just I, I want you just to imagine this for a moment. You, you picture Jesus Christ, who was God, perfect, pure, holy, never done anything wrong. He was being accused of being an ambassador for Satan. He was accused of being a, represent, a representative of the kingdom of hell and a member of the satanic force. They, they said that Jesus and what he did and what he said, it was in no way of God. And that kind of reminded me, as we're looking at uh, defending truth, that kind of reminded me of our culture. The, 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 the Jesus that our culture puts out. Uh, the, what they say Jesus was like, and, and you know they'll say, if you ever say anything against sin, what do they say? It was like, oh, Jesus wasn't like that. Well, you know, he was very accepting of this and of that. But it's very obvious that they have not read much of the New Testament because Jesus Christ did condemn sin. And he's going to continue to do so. Uh, but this was not the only time, by the way, that Jesus was accused of being an agent of Satan. He was accused of this many times. Let's go to John chapter 7. I want to look at a few examples of this, of Jesus just uh, being accused of being that which was totally opposite of who he was. Look at John chapter 7, and look at verse 14. <clears throat> verse 14, it says, Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? And Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God, or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keepeth the law. Why go ye about to kill me? The people answered and said, Thou hast a devil. Who goeth about to kill thee? So Jesus here, he was doing what he frequently did. He taught the people. And you can know, he taught the truth of God. The way, the truth, and the light would proclaim uh, to lost sinners that he was the only way, and he was the only truth, and he was the light that shined in darkness, and he was listening. Uh, those that were listening to him, they were astonished, and they marveled at his teaching. They wanted to know, how, did, how does this guy, how is he so educated? Uh, and how does he know so many theological truths of the word of God? Well, I'll tell you how, because he was the word. He was Jesus Christ. And Jesus informed them that he speaks with the authority of God himself. And you know why? Because he was God himself. And what was the result? The result was the fact that in their unbelief, these people accused the Son of God as, again, being possessed by a demon. They did not want to hear the truth. They hated the truth. They hated God, so they slandered him. Another example is found in the next chapter. Let's look at John chapter 8. Look at verse 36. Verse 36, we'll start there. He says, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And praise God for that. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. Let me just stop right there. Do you, you, are you picking up on anything here? Jesus' words were pretty offensive. If people wanted to kill him, something's going on here. He, he was bothering a lot of people. 
He's not really this soft Jesus that, again, our society likes to put out there. He was, he was offensive with what he said. Look at verse 38. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. And they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus saith unto him, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And let's just stop right there in this passage. Jesus begins by addressing those that believed on him. And then in the midst of the crowd, of course, as there usually is, there are people that were skeptical. They did not believe. And Jesus would then address them as well. And he informed them, hey, there's freedom in me. There's freedom in Christ. And in verse 39, the Jews that were listening and were skeptical, they took a, a swipe at him by saying, well, we were not born of fornication, which was likely uh, them hinting at the controversy uh, concerning Jesus' birth. But then look at verse 42. And again, Jesus here, he's not holding anything back. Look at verse 42. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he that sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot bear my word. Ye are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's word, ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Man, again, Jesus, he is holding nothing back. Does this sound like a soft Jesus that just kind of go, you know, beats around the bush? No, he went right to the throat. He went right to the heart. As the Jews, as, as they proclaimed that, oh, God's my father, Jesus boldly says, hey, if he were your father, you would love me. You would love his son. If you loved God, you would love the one that he sent, which is obviously Jesus Christ himself. And he boldly proclaims to them that their father is not God, but rather Satan. He explained to them that he's telling them the truth of who he is. There's freedom in him. And he's imploring them to trust in the gospel and to trust in him and to believe on him. But they believe not. And he told them the truth that if they did not believe, then they were not of God. Now, once you hold your place in John chapter 8, and let's go to 1 John chapter 2. <clears throat> the truth of the matter is, as Jesus said, he said back then even, if you do not love Christ, you are not of God. And the same goes today, church. If you do not love Christ, if you do not believe in Christ, uh, then that he is the only way to salvation, then you are not of God. You're not a child of God. Look at 1 John chapter 2, uh, a book that we all should be pretty familiar with, at least those of you that were here uh, when we went through this book not too long ago. Look at verse 22 of 1 John 2. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is a Christ. He is an antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. Look at verse 2. He says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And, now, and even now already is it in the world. 
And lastly, look at 1 John 5, 1. It says in verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him, that begot, loveth him also, that is begotten of him. Very clear. Listen, today, if you are here today, and you are trusting in some work to get you to heaven, you are not of God. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ is enough to save you from your sins, to get you forgiveness from God, you are not of God. You are not saved. You do not have eternal life. If you are trusting in a sacrament or a ritual or your church membership or putting money in the offering plate or any other thing besides Jesus Christ to get you to heaven, then you are not of God and you are rejecting the truth of Christ. You are putting the reliance uh, of salvation and forgiveness from God on yourself and you're rejecting the sufficiency of Christ. But Jesus Christ is enough. And this is what Jesus was getting at in John chapter 8. And as this often does, this truth caused outrage with unbelievers. Let's go back to John chapter 8 and see that. Go back there and see the outrage. I mean, and you can imagine, I mean, these people were just called the sons of Satan. So what do you think they're going to do, right? They're going to be mad, right? John chapter 8, verse 48 says, then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? And Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. So again, Jesus is accused here not only of being a Samaritan, which by the way was a huge insult in this culture. He was being called a dog, basically. Uh, but again, he's also accused of being demon-possessed. And because he lived such a godly and perfect life, they could not attack his character. So instead, in their unbelief of the truth, they slander him with lies. Another example, we're not going to go there. But in John chapter 10, just a few pages over, right after Jesus told a crowd of people, he said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and they are uh, known of me. He says, uh, there, we're told in that passage in John chapter 10, that there were those amongst a crowd. It uh, says that many of them said, he hath a devil, and he is mad. Why hear ye him? So look, church, time after time after time again, Jesus was accused of being possessed by Satan while he was telling people the truth of God. He's accused of being lost in darkness, filled with lies, leading people astray, and doing Satan's work. All the while, was he doing any of that? Was he leading people astray? Was he doing Satan's work? No, he was doing the will of God. He was doing that which the Father had sent him to do. He was preaching the truth. He was standing for the truth of God's word. And he was slandered, lied about, hated, and attacked for preaching the truth. And man, this is ever too common in our day. And you know what, if we ever lived in a, if there was ever a day of post-truth, it's today. It's now. We live in a post-truth world. And those of you that, if you're involved in, in the workplace or uh, in public schools or whatever, you know that this is true. People push the idea that truth is relative. There's your truth, my truth, their truth, uh, the tree's truth, the cat's truth. There's everybody, they, own, they have their own truth. There's no absolute truth. And it's madness, because we know that God's word is the truth. And this should not, you know, we should be outraged about this. It should bother us, but it should not just make us angry, church. Listen closely. It should burden us. 
It should bring us to our knees. It should cause us to pray for those that are lost in darkness and that are deceived and trying to push <coughs> the wickedness. I have some examples, that, and you probably know, but this is something that has to be said because it's just becoming worse and worse in our culture. Look, every day, Christians are faced with lies, and they're pushed to accept those lies. Look, if your five-year-old son comes to you and they, they think that they're a girl, according to psychologists, you need to allow them to do whatever it is that they find necessary to fulfill their desire to be a girl. Why? Because according to them, you don't know what they are. But, but listen close. We are not to be concerned with that nonsense. We are to be concerned with what the Bible says. We are to be concerned with, thus saith the Lord. Genesis 1.27 says, In the image of God created he him. And what else does it say? Male and female created he them. And I just want you to know, God never makes mistakes. Did you know that? He never makes mistakes. And if he created you or anybody to be a man, you were meant to be a man. So embrace it. And if he created you to be a woman then he did not make a mistake. You were meant to be a woman. And the same goes with false religions. There are many people that say that there are uh, many ways to God in an attempt to appease everyone, but in an attempt to appease everybody, they keep many people on the path of hell because, again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The same can be said of homosexuality. It goes against nature. It's a sin against God. The law, so what are they doing? They're constantly pushing us to accept it. And therefore, they're attacking God's institution for marriage and the family. And if you don't think that the family matters, you're wrong. It matters to God very much. The same can be said for, for sin in a general sense. If you try to live godly out in your workplace or at school or wherever it may be, if you try to live holy, if you call out sin, if you stand for the truth of God, if you do what's best for your family, as you try to guide them in godliness, people will look at you, they will mock you, they will criticize you, and they may even call you insensitive and intolerant. And to many in this post-truth world, truth does not matter. Absolute truth does not exist. But listen close again. Truth does matter. Absolute truth does exist. I like what one pastor pointed out. They said that truth matters to engineers and those that use their machines. It matters to pilots and to the people that are sitting in their airplane. Look, truth matters. Facts matter. It matters to astronauts. It matters to soldiers who have to uh, plot out life and death circumstances. Hey, listen, truth matters to chemists. Truth matters to your doctor. Truth matters to pharmacists, and it matters to surgeons, and it matters to judges. It matters, but most importantly, truth matters to God. It matters, and we find the truth in God's word. Let's go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Look at Psalm 119. Look at verse 160. Psalm 118, 160. We'll read a few verses here. Psalm 119, 160 says, Thy word is true from the beginning. Let's just stop right there. God's word is true from the very beginning of time, and it's never going to stop being true. Society changes, man changes, God never changes. It's always going to be true. 
Look at it, look at it again there. That word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, and my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Hey, listen, God, he loves truth, and he hates lies. And you know what, Christian? So should you. So should I. Though the truth offends, we must love the truth. Though the truth hurts, we must love the truth. And by the way, you ought to love the truth even when it hurts you. Even when it offends you. I need to love the truth even when it offends me and it hurts me. Even when the truth breaks your heart. Even when the truth exposes your sin and it points out your weaknesses. We need to love the truth. We need to love the truth of the law of God, by the way, even when it means that we have to change. Again, we hate change. And the Pharisees in Mark chapter 3, they hated the truth of God. And you know why? In part, it was because it meant if Jesus was right, that means that they have to live differently. They have to change. If they were to adhere to what Jesus said, they no longer could remain the same. And likewise, church, when we read and we study and we look to apply the truth of God's word in our lives, as we look into the mirror that is God's word, we have to do so ready to change. We are to love the word of God, even when it exposes our evil ways, just as we are to love a friend that does not flatter us with deceitful words, but rather wounds us with the truth of God so that we may be more righteous and live more godly lives. So truth matters. It matters in every facet of the spiritual realm. It truly matters. Now, the church, and I say this often, but the church is to be, as Paul said, the pillar and ground of truth because the souls of men depend on it. If a church veers away from the true gospel, then we are no longer a church. If, if the church no longer preaches on sin, fails to keep people accountable, then we're no longer a church. We're just a social gathering. If we fail to hold to the doctrines of the faith in the word of God in the name of unity, and I've seen that, but in the name of unity, then we're no longer a true church, but rather just as bad as a country club. Truth matters, and it has to be, it has to be preached. But listen, it's one thing to believe that the truth must be preached in this church. Truth also must be lived out by the Christian, not just preached by the pastor. Now, a lot of, a lot of times... Christians, they're all, they're all excited to hear about, oh, you know, let's preach the truth. Okay, that's great. You need to preach the truth to yourself. You need to live the truth yourself. And as Jesus, as he was hated by those in the world, he warned us that there would be times where people will hate Christians just as they hated him. Now, I do believe that there are some Christians that are not liked and that are hated because they're just not nice people, <laughs> Right? Uh, you may be like, man, I wonder why everybody just hates me so much. Well, maybe you're just mean. I mean, that could be the case. I know some Christians are not like because they're not Christ-like at all, and they're just plain miserable. But if you live your life as a living testimony of the gospel out in the world, and you stand for truth with love and grace, and the world hates you for that, then you can know with certainty it's not you that they hate, it's Christ. Let's go to John 15. John 15. John 15. Look at verse 18. 
And this is a comforting passage because Jesus, if we experience hatred from the world, we can know that he understands, and really he understands better than anybody. Look at verse 18. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. And if, if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I have said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they be persecuted, uh, if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. So just as the scribes and the Pharisees hated Jesus because he would not fit into their mold, understand that the world at times, uh, they will hate Christians because they do not fit into their mold. And listen, if you fit into the world's mold, there's a big problem. There's a huge problem. Christians do not follow after the world's agenda. They are not to follow after the world's ideas or their worldview or their mindset. God's people hate lies and they love the truth. God's people are to deny the ideology of the world and accept the truth of God. We no longer follow after the flesh. We don't follow after the desires of the world. We don't follow after uh, some lost man. We don't believe what they have to say. We believe what God has to say. And at times, this will bring hatred. We are to deny the acceptance of sin in all forms. And again, I have to stress this, even in our own life. The world, they will hate that. They want to be accepted. They want to bask in their glory uh, of sin. They, they want to be comfortable in living in rebellion against God. But we must believe God. We must live the truth, even though the lost don't want to see a person living like Christ. And as the Bible says, as we just read there, we are not greater than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was perfect, yet hated. And as unperfect and broken people that have fallen on the grace of Jesus Christ, we will at times face hatred and opposition when we strive to live for Christ and be obedient to His Word. This is why the Apostle John, in 1 John, as he spoke about righteousness, he said, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate us. Now this is important uh, as we talk about defending truth, because a lot of times... Uh, as Christians, we can get all riled up. I'm going to stand for the truth. Well, listen close. I have seen preachers and Christians stand for the truth of God and yet be wrong with how they did it. You can be theologically correct in every area and yet respond incorrectly. The way that Jesus dealt with these people in Mark chapter 3 is he was accused of being satanic while he was speaking the truth of God. It's a great example to us whenever we face opposition from the world. Let's go back to Mark chapter 3. And I want to encourage you to go back to Mark chapter 3. When it comes to standing for the truth of God, do not let a politician be your example that you follow after. And that even goes for one of our former presidents. Don't let some American icon be the person that you look to when it comes to how you should defend the truth, even the truth of God. Don't allow a radio talk show host to be your example with how to deal with those that attack the truth of God. Look to what Jesus Christ did. He is our example. Look at Mark chapter 3. And look at verse 23. It says, And he called them unto him, and said unto them in a parable, in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. 
Now, I want you to notice here, church, okay? Jesus did not rip these people to shreds. He did not angrily respond. He did not give them a piece of his mind. He was not rude to them. He did not reply with scorn. He was not malicious and he was not mean. Uh, he was literally insulted in the worst way possible. And yet he did not lash out. In fact, if you really consider it, he showed grace. He graciously appeals to their common sense. And he concisely exposed their bad theology. Now by all means, Jesus Christ could have done what John begged him to do before and brought down fire on them for such an insult. Because again, consider what's happening here. To call the, the perfect God an agent of Satan was to call him the complete opposite of what he actually was. I mean, do you understand how, how vile and insulting this is to Jesus Christ? It would be like calling a faithful husband an adulterer when he's done no such thing. It would be like uh, calling a hardworking mother that's done everything to care for and to educate her children lazy and useless. They were calling that which was pure and clean and spotless. They were calling him corrupt and filthy and wicked. This was insulting. Jesus could have destroyed them right there for such slander. But he was and is a God of grace. Instead, he still allowed them to live. And he calmly and rightfully asked them, how is it possible for Satan to cast out Satan? He asked them, if I were an agent of Satan, how is it that I am working against Satan and casting out demons? He lets them know, look, if Satan is casting himself out, or if he had people working to do such a thing, then Satan and his kingdom are divided. Satan and his kingdom, they are in the middle of a civil war. And if this were the case, then, then Satan's kingdom was working against itself. And in verse 26, he tells them that if Satan rises up against himself and has a divided kingdom, then he cannot stand, and his end will come soon thereafter. Now look, we know... That Satan's end will come. You can guarantee it. You know it's going to happen, but uh, the time has not yet come for that. But look at verse 27 again. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Well, what does that mean? What is he talking about? Well, he's using an analogy of, of a strong man in his house. Satan is the strong man. And he says that nobody can enter into a strong man's house, uh, again, speaking of Satan, to steal from him unless he has first overpowered him, unless he has first bound him up. Otherwise, a person that is looking to steal from this strong man, he would be overcome. So he's saying once this man is bound, then the, the thief that is looking to steal from the strong man can thoroughly ransack the house. So in this analogy, what is Jesus saying? He's informing these scribes that he is not under Satan, but rather he's stronger and greater than Satan. Again, Satan is a strong man, and Jesus Christ is the one that's binding and stealing from Satan. Jesus proved that he had dominion over Satan, and that he was uh, stealing from him again when he was casting out all these demons. He also did so when he rose from the dead. 
One day he's going to prove again that he has dominion over Satan when he binds Satan for a thousand years. And listen, church, Christ will then prove that he has ultimate dominion over Satan one day when he casts Satan into the lake of fire never to return again. He's going to be cast in the lake of fire forever and ever. So Christ, in this analogy, he's letting these scribes know, I'm not under Satan's dominion. Satan is no match for the Son of the living God. I am over Satan, and I, I have dominion over him. And again, in, instead of responding in anger and maliciousness and hostility, he speaks the truth, but he mixes it with grace. He speaks the truth in love. He spoke the truth not because he had a desire to be right, not because he wanted the scribes to look foolish, not because he wanted to prove himself to be better or more intelligent than they. And let's think about this for a moment, Christian. How often can we be like that? How often in our endeavor to stand for the truth of God do we do so just because we want to be right? How often in our desire to stand for the truth of God we do so because we want to make another person look foolish or because we want to uh, look better or more intelligent than they do? Again, being biblically correct with ungodly motives and attitude is wrong. It's wrong. Why did Jesus Christ speak the truth? He didn't do it for any of those reasons. He did it because he was burdened for their souls. Did you know that? Jesus was burdened for their souls. Even the scribes. Even the Pharisees that hated him. He was burdened. Remember Mark chapter 3 verse 5. We looked at it a few weeks ago. What did it say? Jesus was grieved at the hardness of their heart. He was burdened by their unbelief. He was, the, he was the one that came to seek and to save that which was lost. He was burdened for the truth. So I'm going to ask you this, Christian. Listen, are you burdened for the truth? Do you love and seek and believe and cling to the truth of God? Listen, truth does matter because without truth, the souls are doomed for hell. Truth does matter because without truth, we are clueless about how to live holy and sanctified lives. If this book is not true, we might as well throw it out, and there's no point in following anything, but it is true. And we must obey it, and we must look to it uh, for its command so that we know how we are to live this life. Truth matters because without truth, we have no guide. We have nothing that's absolute, but this is the truth of God. So we must believe it, walk in it, and live out the truth in our own lives. And I say this, I want to really make sure that I, I get this point across. Privately, we must live the truth. And we must stand for the truth. We must defend the truth. But also, publicly. And if this world was ever in desperate need of anything, it is in desperate need of the truth of God. So we need to sound the horn of the truth. We need to preach the truth to ourselves every day. And look to the truth of God's word every day. And focus on the mirror of God's word in our own life every day. And live it out publicly and privately. Stand for the truth of God. Listen, we, we got enough Christians trying to fit into the mold of the world. Don't do that. Don't try to fit into the mold of the world. Don't allow your worldview to be corrupted by those that are, are lost and spiritually blind. Let's go to Judges chapter 17. The last place we'll turn. Our nation has most certainly... Become a nation like the Israelites did in Judges chapter 17. Look at verse 6. In Judges chapter 17 verse 6. Sad, sad verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel. 
But every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You know, when we do that which is right in our own eyes and we reject the truth of our King Jesus Christ, just like the Israelites, we live in idolatry. And the idol is ourselves, it's our peers, it's our feelings, it's our thoughts, and it's our ideas that become our idols. When we reject the truth of God, when we become a people, like you could say, you could say in this verse, you could fill in blanks, you could say, in those days there was no God in America, in our country. And every man did that which, was, that which was right in his own eyes. When we do that, we fall into idolatry. And as one person said, uh, we become so politically correct instead of being biblically correct. But we don't need to worry about being politically correct or being socially accepted. We need to be biblically correct. I like what Vody Bauckham said. He said that culture does not dictate truth. The gospel dictates the truth. Hey, listen, the word of God, it dictates the truth. And somebody had mentioned it. It might have been Alan. Culture is constantly changing, isn't it? Our society, uh, we're, we're up, we're down, we're here, we're there. Fifty years ago, the sins that were rejected in our society, now they're openly accepted. And it's just getting worse and worse every day, and it's only going to get worse. And men will continue to do that which is right in God's eyes, but God forever, He remains the same. His word will endure forever, and His word transcends culture. His word exposes lies and brings uh, light to the truth, so we need to hold to the truth. So church, listen, have a biblical worldview and hold fast to it. Even if the world mocks you, and criticizes you for being a Christian and for standing for the truth of God, continue on, hold fast to the truth, because the truth will prevail. You know that one day, we're going to stand before God and give an account to Him. So do right in the eyes of God. Be obedient to His word, even if it brings tremendous blowback and tremendous opposition. And if that does happen, then you can rest in the fact that our Savior Jesus Christ, He experienced this on levels that we never will, and yet he responded with grace. So church, stand fast. Stand for the truth. But do so with love and grace, with the goal of bringing glory to God and pointing the lost to him. Again, a lot of times we can get so caught up in standing for the truth. And really what we're trying to do is bring glory to ourselves. But we need to do so with the mindset, I need to bring glory to my Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you are here this morning, you've yet to trust Christ do it today. He bids you to trust Him for forgiveness from God and to have eternal life. He is offering salvation with open arms regardless of your current state or even your past sins. God wants to forgive you, and He will. But you need to come to Him. But Christian, let's stand and defend for the truth of God. Let's be obedient to His Word. And part of, part of being obedient to His Word and loving His Word and doing that which is right according to his word is being in the word of God. Hey, listen, every Christian should be in the word of God every single day. Every day. The more that we know the truth of God, the better that we can defend it, the better that we can stand for it. So let's, let's have a biblical worldview. You just consider this morning, if you've got Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, you, you're constantly being bombarded with wickedness. With ungodliness, even if you try hard to, to filter out all those things, hey, we need to allow the word of God to be consumed and therefore influence us. We need his word. We need to be, have a worldview that's dictated by the truth of God 
not by everything else, not by culture, not by the world, but by the word of God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We'll have a time of prayer.